The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. <laughs> to the lows... You're fired! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers Podcast. Now, here's your host, Stephen Strong. All right, this one is one of my favorite episodes that we record here on the Sports Talkers Podcast. Welcome in, Stephen Strom here. Not only was this spot great because he's a diehard Viking fan. The Vikings are 7-1. and one. It's not a big deal. It is what it is. If you don't know already, I'm a diehard Viking fan. Mike Florio joins us today, ProFootballTalk.com. He hosts the daily NFL talk show PFT Live on Peacock with Chris Sims. And he is a fellow diehard Viking fan, so I had to squeeze in one of those questions. But uh, the reason why this interview is so fantastic is because the transparency, authenticity, and just the willingness to share information um, that I just didn't think he would share as far as heated confrontations that he's had at meetings, at NFL meetings, within players and coaches and owners. Very transparent about that, the Richard Sherman incident. And then talking a little bit about Barstool and um, part of my take with PFT and Big Cat. The story that he tells about a young PFT that wasn't even at Barstool yet, uh, hitting Mike Florio up and saying, can I come to your house to interview you? And it, it ended up fermenting into this relationship where you know, when he got to Barstool and part of my take wanted to interview Mike, they went to his house and they stayed over there. I mean, it, it, this interview is just, I, I, I don't always say this. I mean, this interview was just fantastic. So I'm so excited to share with you guys. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review the Sports Talkers podcast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. And without further ado, I don't even want to waste any more of your time. Let's bring on Mike Florio. I'm 24 years old, so I was born in 1998, but my dad forced me to watch that 98 tape. What's a worse Vikings heartbreak for you, 1998 or 2009? Oh, without question, 1998. 1998 was the year that Randy Moss, who's from West Virginia, was a rookie. They had a magical, spectacular, team of destiny type season. It felt like everything was lining up for them to go back to the Super Bowl and lose it again to the Denver <laughs> Broncos, of course. But it still felt like they would at least get the chance to go 0-5 in the Super Bowl and to have that all end. And I remember the moment when Chuck Smith sacked Randall Cunningham. The Vikings were up 20-7, to I believe, Late in the first half, Denny Green, great coach, one of my favorite Vikings coaches other than Bud Grant, decided to try to get more. Sack, recovered fumble, touchdown, 20 to 14. And I remember that 12 minutes of halftime. Mm. The pit in my stomach starting to grow, the feeling of dread. And the whole second half was just, God, are are they going to find a way to blow this? Of all days, of all games, is this the day it's going to end? And I remember when Gary Anderson missed the 39-yard field goal. From that point on, I just wanted it to be over. I knew how it was going to end, and I just wanted it to be over. And uh, that was bad. All right, let's get into into the real real meat and potatoes here. Give us a sense of your childhood and um, just your interest in sports journalism and broadcasting and how that came about. Well, you know, I, I discovered the NFL in 1972. At the time the Immaculate Reception happened. And back then, the blackout rule applied whether you had a sellout or not. All stations within 90 miles of the home game site still couldn't broadcast the game. I lived 60 miles from Wheeling, but we had on our cable hookup 
a station that was beyond the bubble. So we were the only ones. I don't, I still don't know how it was we were the only ones in the neighborhood that had it. But the house was full of grown-ups. And when Franco Harris makes the catch and scores, they all go crazy. And that's kind of like for me playing with Hot Wheels or whatever I was doing. Kind of like, whoa, this must be there must be something to this NFL football thing. Sure. That, to see it cause all the grownups to act like this. And that's when I began to get interested and started watching it. I was a big baseball fan too in the seventies, but gravitated over time more toward football. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that I ended up being a Vikings fan when I lived in Steelers country, because I just had to be different, which I regret at times because I didn't get to enjoy a Super Bowl win. Yeah. But that, that, that passion, that unrequited sense of just one, let's just have one. That kept me interested in the sport through the 80s, through the 90s. And and once the Internet came along and here I'm in West Virginia and you can have a voice anywhere in the world that kind of all fell together. And here we are 21 years later. OK, so let's talk about a little bit in high school and college. Are you thinking about, um, you know, writing? Because I know you got your law degree or, or can you kind of walk us through how that turned into a profession? You know, it's funny. I remember at one time when I was a kid and I was reading Mad Magazine, I had this flash that I'd like to be a comedy writer. And I guess some of the stuff we do, we try to be funny, yep. although comedy is hard. I, I stumbled into law school while I was studying engineering in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I hated engineering. I hated, <laughs> I just got, I mean, it was- So why were you fun. doing it? I mean, but but because when I was, I was smart, whatever that means in high school, <laughs> And I was good in math and science. So they kind of steer you toward, you know, engineering was a hot area. And it's like, well, that's great, but I really am not interested in it. But I didn't have anything else that I could bring to the table. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And as I was getting closer to getting my degree, my advisor suggested law school. And I thought you had to have a specialized undergrad degree to even go to law. She said, any degree gets you in. And that was the moment I knew. I'm getting out of the engineering, going to law school. Mm -hmm. I remember watching the paper chase, the show with John Houseman in the seventies and being fascinated by the idea of law school. And it all kind of came back together. But, but then no, no, none of this was planned. People, oh, what's your formula? I have no formula. None of it was planned. It just kind of happened. You know, my son and I were talking about that last night. We were watching the game. I, I couldn't have planned it any better. And I didn't plan it at all. It just kind of happened. You graduate. And then you start to, you know, you you make this site like th this is this pro football talk. When did that idea first hit? And did you have any idea of how you kind of wanted to cultivate and what the image was moving forward? Here's what happened. And I'll try to give you the most condensed version. Hey, give me the spark notes. Version. Yeah, here's here's the simple version of what occurred. I was practicing law with a firm. I started in Pittsburgh. We moved to the town in West Virginia that we live in. My wife grew up here and I'd made partner and I was like, you know, in the, and it's like, you know what? I want to do this on my own. I left the firm and I started my own shop. And that was important because it gave me some free time as I was building up my practice. I wasn't nearly as busy as I would have been. I was telling my son this last night. I probably never would have found my way into this because I wouldn't have had the time to do it. Sure. I would have been constantly going, going, going. Cause when you work for a big law firm, your only commodity is your time. You have to put in a lot of time because you bill by the hour. So I'm practicing by myself. I mean, the first three months of it, I had free time. I stumbled across a website that was called NFLtalk.com. 
and I started going there for a long time, I only ever ventured onto the things that were available through the America Online database when the modem finally connected you. I never went to any of the www.whatever. <laughs> it's like, I didn't want to go into that world. I got everything I need here. I get Vikings news here. Yep. When I can't get it anywhere else, this is fine. So I find nfltalk.com. It was mentioned in an article in USA Today. Start going there. They called for writers in June of 2000. Open call. I sent something in. They hired me, even though they didn't pay me. Did that. Started doing more. I was doing it all for free. My wife's like, why are you doing this for free? It's like, well, it's kind of a hobby. It's kind of fun. I got a feeling this could maybe go somewhere. Mm. I had no idea. But then... NFLtalk.com and its sister sites, because they had a vertical for every sport. They crashed and burned. ESPN bought the carcass. One thing leads to another. I'm writing for ESPN.com. They didn't necessarily know I was practicing law at the same time, which was kind of a funny sitcom episode <laughs> premise. But then right after 9-11, and everybody had like perspective and important. You know, like, you know, it's like, what, what am I? I was working really hard at the time. I was putting six hours in in the morning with ESPN.com and then I go practice law and it's like, something's got to give here. They offered me a one-year contract. And that's when I was like, you know what? I just like to kind of do this yep. my own way. I can put in as much or as little time as I want. I can write whatever I want. And I had an instinct and instinct rarely steers you wrong. When you can clearly get to the core of your instinctive feeling, your gut feeling, when you know it with clarity, the instinct was there's value in immediacy. I wanted immediacy. I didn't want layers of editorial. We flipped the switch November 1 of 2001, just 21 years and one week ago. And it became a very slow rolling snowball that got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and you just celebrated the 21st birthday of Pro Football Talk. Congratulations. And thank you for sharing that. Um, what did, I guess, when you started to go on camera, when you started to do these podcasts prior to that, um, you may have looked at other personalities or or broadcasters and may have thought, oh, I can easily do this. What um, was the thing when you first started? Like, damn, this is harder than I thought. I started off doing radio and it was call-in spots. NFLtalk.com had relationships with some of the stations. First station I was ever on was WGR in Buffalo. And I remember being nervous. You feel your heartbeat in your throat. What the hell am I going to talk about? It helped that I was a lawyer. So I had some experience yes. speaking contemporaneously. So I started doing the radio spots and I realized I'm not horrible at it. You're just talking football. And then when NFL talk went away and I ended up starting PFT, like, you know, this is a pretty effective way to market. I did free radio spots anytime, any place, anywhere. I never said no because it was so much more effective. You know, I never spent a penny advertising PFT. It was all word of mouth and doing these spots where you become part of the organic content on the station and people hear it mm. on the reset. Yeah. We're talking to Mike Florio, profootballtalk.com. Good, good. You build the, the, the audience that way. So I did as much of that as I could. And that part of it was easy. TV was different. And I remember I was talking about this not long ago. I remember the first time I was ever on NFL network, 2008, 2009 timeframe. Sure. I drove up to Pittsburgh you know, this was long before you could do anything sitting in your house. And I remember they said to me, whatever you do, just look into the camera while you're talking. So I've constantly felt my eyes going this way and my eyes going because <laughs> like try not to think about elephants, right? Look, no matter what you do, look into the camera. Yeah. And I just remember thinking that. And then when I started doing stuff with NBC, it's like you get nervous about it because you can't hide 
here you are. Hello, world. Here I am. And you have to watch your facial expressions. You can't pick your nose. You know, you got to you got to be very careful about everything you do. And I remember thinking around 2009, if I ever get to the point where I'm as comfortable on camera as I am talking on the phone on these radio shows, I'll be, be a good. fully formed, finished product as yep. good as I'm ever going to be. No better than that, but that's the limit of my God-given ability. And it took it took a while, but but I've noticed in the past few years, and maybe part of it is I do a lot of it from home now. But I just I never have that. Can I cuss on here? Yes, you can. I never have that. Oh shit! What am I doing here? This I shouldn't be here. Why are they coming to me in front of <laughs> twelve million people? Yes. So that that doesn't happen anymore. It used to happen all the time. It doesn't yes. happen anymore. Uh, how did you build connections within the league? Just, I guess, not, you know, playing college or not. I, I don't know. Just kind of talk us through that. Well, it helped that working with NFLtalk.com, I knew some of the people who were working there, some of the contributors there. I got to know people that way. Part of it is, and I, I still don't know how this happened, but for whatever reason, PFT became a place where people in the business coaches, agents, executives, players, not as much at first, but it changed. And uh, media people, sure. they would all come and read it. And they liked it. So they kept coming back. They liked the style. They liked the humor. They liked the attitude. They liked what we were then. And we've evolved over time. But people would reach out to me. And I remember thinking like, uh, sure. Sure. Like, yeah, you get a phone. Who is the first hey, big name that you got that you I'm still to this day, very, very, very careful about saying, cause it's all off the record. Sure. I mean, 99% of it's off the record. Sure. So, but I remember thinking there's no way that you are who you say you are. And, and so you develop relationships that way. Yeah. You talk to people, you know, and you get to know more people and, yeah, you're cha a lot of times, like through the process of chasing something, I'll reach out to somebody I've never spoken to before. You start the relationship that way. It really is relationship driven, yeah. but you also have to be willing, I think, to do it the right way. And I don't want to, I don't want to get myself in any more trouble than I already do by pointing <laughs> this out. But you have to find a way to stay true to what you're here for, and that's mm -hmm. to inform the audience. And sometimes you got to say some things that are going to piss people off. And if you don't already have a relationship with them, so what? But if you do, that's when you get yourself into a potentially tough spot. And I've had some difficult phone calls over the years. Yeah. I've had people that I was just thinking about this earlier. I reported something that person didn't like. We had a very aggressive and hostile phone call and I never hear from him. And I haven't heard from him mm. other than to complain about one specific story I wrote a few years ago. Haven't heard from him since then, but you got to be willing. You got to be willing in the interest of doing your job right, you got to be willing to compromise a relationship and then do what you have to do to rebuild it if you have an opportunity to do so. And I don't mean to throw you on the spot if you don't want to talk about it. That's perfectly fine. I am interested to know the most upset a player or coach has uh, been at you. I know some of it is public with Richard Sherman, but is there any other that stick out? Well, on the Richard Sherman stuff, I, I, I look, he just fundamentally doesn't understand the value of having an agent. And this is not me trying to... Oh, oh, I got to get information from agents. So I have to kiss their asses. So I get more agent. Come on. That's so transparent. This is about what's good for the players. And I think there's a mindset among guys like Richard Sherman that I'd rather have hundred percent of a small pie than 97% of a bigger pie. And that's where it all comes from. And it also comes from this, I believe 
The agent fees aren't removed from the game checks. They have to pay them separately. If you didn't have to pay them separately, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. So anyway, that because because it's I, I make my case about using a good agent for the good of the players. And mm. Lamar Jackson would have his contract now, the contract he deserves, if he had an agent who could get the most from the Baltimore Ravens and then turn around and advise Lamar Jackson the way that I would advise my son what you need to do in this situation. So I, I had a, a thing earlier this year, the night that the Vikings extended Kirk Cousins again. And I feel I feel horrible, awful, indescribable, unimaginable pain that Mike Zimmer's gone through the last week with the path, passing of his son, Adam. I mean, I cannot comprehend. Yeah. No matter how old your child is, I cannot comprehend what he's been dealing with. But that night in March of this year, right about the time at the start of free agency, he started sending me some texts and they were not nice. And mm -hmm. uh, and look, he got some stuff off his chest. He thought that I was responsible for getting him fired. Like catalyst. I started the groundswell that, you know, and, 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 you know, at a certain point, you can only take so much before you push back. And so it was, it was spirited to say the least. And we both <laughs> said what we had to say. So that's the most recent one. I've avoided those. For the most part. And a lot of times what will happen is if somebody calls me up and they want to yell at me, I'll take it. And then when it's over, they feel better. Good. And they got it off their chest. I, and, yeah. if I, and if I take it and I'm like crack a joke or something, then you take that enemy and you maybe flip them into a friend. Mm. So the one time that didn't work was with Dirk Cutter. When he got the job in Tampa Bay. There was this theory making the rounds that it was an inside job, because I kind of think it was, where they were afraid they were going to lose Dirk Cutter to a team like the Dolphins as the head coach. They wanted to keep him there and have him work with Jameis Winston. Sure. So, hey, let's just fire Lovey Smith and make Dirk Cutter the head coach. And I interviewed Dirk Cutter at the time on PFT Live, and I asked him, not in a confrontational way, just, hey, there's talk out there that this was some sort of an inside job. What's your response to that? And he gave a response that was fair. I would say that's BS, and I got no sense he was upset. Never heard from Team PR he's upset. Never heard from him. Never heard from anybody. So then we're at the league meetings that year. And I, I say, hey, there's Dirk Cutter. I've never met him. Like I, I, like an idiot. Like I think everything's <laughs> fine. And I walk over right into the uppercut. Not literally, but it felt like it. And he was hey, chewing on me and chewing on me. And uh, and I tried then. Like I stood there and took it. Yep. I stood there and took it. And I tried and I was just getting nowhere. And then after that, I got upset because my wife, was standing with me and it's like why are you being like this in this setting there's a better way to communicate yes. your displeasure than to wait for where do i see that guy you know yeah. that's bullshit and <laughs> and so now i can laugh about it at the time i was you like, were pissed shell shocked yeah but i'm pissed about it now that's a, that's a it's a shitty way of treating other people if you got a problem with them you you hit it head on at the time you don't wait until you cross paths with them somewhere else Let's do the uh, Barstool, guys. Uh, pardon my take because Barstool has become this um, – what's the right word here that I can find? Uh, some people – you're either like all in or you're avoiding Barstool. And you guys have really – uh, had a good relationship with part of my take and PFT and big cat. Why did you, you know, why did you take on that, that friendship where some networks may kind of turn their head and say, no, we don't want anything to do with them. Well, look, I, I, I don't, I, I view pardon my take and big cat and PFT commenter is kind of like their own little world. And I know they're part of the bigger structure. I don't really know anybody else at Barstool. I met Dave Portnoy once 
I just know those guys. And they've been to my house when they were doing their grit week a few years ago. <laughs> they spent the night here. They did the show from up in my studio. And I, I you know, I, I, I got to know them originally through PFT commenter, Eric. I think of him as Eric because that's his name and he has fun with that now. But when he was just like this renegade, just getting started, I didn't know what to make of him. It's like, am I the joke? Who's the joke? Who are you making fun of here? You're making fun of me, sure. you're making fun of the commenters at the website. And, and he reached out to me when he was working for whoever he was working for, SB Nation, whoever at the time before he landed at Barstool, and he wanted to come to my house and interview me. And it's like, I don't even know who you are. Like, <laughs> I don't know your name. I don't have an office somewhere that you're going to show up at. You're coming to my house. I at least have to know who you are. I have to have a general idea of what your gig is, what you're trying to prove, you know, that kind of thing. And he came, stayed for a while. We had lunch. We hung out. And you let him come? You didn't fun. even hesitate? You just were like, I like what was going once, through once your mind? I, I mean, once he was willing to give me his name, because he was very protective of his identity at the time. <laughs> I, it's not like he did a full FBI background check. I this just is before to, Barstool? Just, he's being protective of his name? This was before Barstool. Yeah, yeah. He was very protective of his name until it until like he basically got doxxed. I don't know that you get doxxed <laughs> if people just say who your name is. But then, then he leaned into it and embraced it. But I thought, you know, this guy's funny and I get it. And hey, I got no problem with him using the PFT brand. It's it's all in good fun. And uh, and I got to know Big Cat a little bit through him. And, uh, you know, they had me on part of my take a few times. And I look at it this way. You can either enjoy it and and let them poke fun at you and poke fun at yourself in the process, or you can resist it and it's only going to be worse. Right. And you look like a dick if mm -hmm. you resist it and, and you get all sanctimonious about it. And because, because ultimately they mean, well, they're not yeah. malicious and they're just trying to have some fun. What's kept you in this business for so long? What keeps Money? you going? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? You, you want to, you want to lie to you? No, I want you to be no, authentic. Look, at, look, Continue. At look, look I, I live a very blessed and charmed life that I do not take for granted. I do very well. As you could imagine, I bust my ass. I make no apologies. I make no apologies for it because I bust my ass from the moment I wake up until the moment I go to bed, I carve out a little bit of time to watch Steven strong wife. Yep. Right. I, I, and this is all part of the broader. I mean, this is part of this is part of the, the, the keeping the word out and making sure people understand who we're about. But I am completely devoted and committed around the clock, around the calendar. The only time I shut down even a little bit is when the league shuts down from the middle of June into the middle of July. But even then, even then, Still every day, content's there because I know we have to keep feeding the beast or people are going to go elsewhere. Mm. And and so I'm because so it's not like. I scratched off a lottery ticket. I got to work for it, but I've always been wired to work hard. I love what I do. I'd be spending a lot of time following the NFL, talking about it to friends and family and anybody who would listen to me if I wasn't getting paid to do it. So I have found something that does not feel like work that I can work at as hard as I want to. And I do, and I get paid well for it. So yeah, it's a combination of I love what I do. I'm handsomely compensated. I really don't care much about being on TV. It just yeah. kind of goes with the gig. It's not like like 
I, it's kind of funny if I'm somewhere and I get recognized and I try to always, if somebody wants to talk to me, I always, I, I always stop because it doesn't happen so much that it's a pain in the ass. It's very easy <laughs> to say. I talk to all my fans because only five of them ever say anything in the course of a year. Sure. But still, it's kind of fun when it happens. And I appreciate that people are, are committed to the site. And, and so, yeah. I, and, and so there's no reason to stop. I mean, there really isn't. I saw that Colin Coward said recently, he's going to be doing it until he's 88 and his teeth are falling out of his mouth. I mean, I, I will die with my boots on. I don't know what I'll be doing then, but I'm. There's no reason to retire. Retire from what? I, I tell my wife that all the time. What? I mean, what would I do? Like, I try to picture what my life would be like, how my life would be different if I retired. What the hell would I do with my time? Yeah. How would I pass my time? Because, like, when I watch TV, you know, if I get the news on or sports or a movie or whatever, I, I'm. I can multitask. I'm writing content for PFT. It's just part of my lifestyle. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what else I would do. It's so ingrained in who I am. So anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, unless I die, this isn't ended anytime soon. All right, Mike Floor, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Make sure to check out my podcast, all the other podcasts on BarrettSportsMedia.com. Big shout-out to Mike Florio for joining me. Uh, big shout-out to you guys, as always. BarrettSportsMedia.com, our articles are out every single morning. And if you haven't subscribed already to the newsletter, 8 a.m., you get an email. I got all the content waiting for you in the morning before work or whatever you do, school. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers podcast with Stephen Strong. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.